You are listening to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. Our vision is to treasure Christ above all else and live for more. Welcome to, uh, to Summit Church. Um, my name is uh, Lucas Backman, if uh, anyone didn't know. Um, and uh, we are going through the book of James. And, uh, and as we've talked about before, the book of James, uh, it generally is, well, it's just a, it's a different book than, say, uh, Pauline literature, right? Um, a lot of times, Paul, as he's, uh, as he's building these theological arguments, uh, a lot of times what's usually found in Paul is, is he'll make like a theological conclusion, right? And then he'll take all this time to refute all the objections that he knows are coming down the pike, Right? So he'll, he'll make a claim and then he'll, he'll refute all the opposite claims that he knows are going to come up, right? Um, but James is, is a little different because he's, it's not that he's unconcerned about that. It's just his concern is, is rather more oriented toward application. He really wants uh, his readers to know, uh, listen, it, when you have faith in Christ, if we believe in Jesus Christ as our savior, this is how we live. This is what our faith looks like. This is what it looks like to be a, a, a follower of Christ. So it's not that James is unconcerned with theological questions that come up from his, his conclusions. Uh, it's just that uh, what's far more important uh, for James and for his readers is that they know how to actually practice uh, their faith. And, uh, and that's going to be very important to, uh, to kind of where we're going this week. And this week we are in James 2, uh, 2, 14 through 26. And, uh, and as we go through that, we, uh, we're actually going to see James, he actually makes a theological conclusion. Uh, and then he actually does support it. He addresses some, uh, some known objections that are going to come up from it. But he doesn't spend too much time uh, addressing those, uh, those objections. Uh, he really just kind of moves on rather quickly. And, um, and so often that leads us to ask some of those questions. Um, though the temptation is to spend a lot of time on those, uh, we, uh, we are going to um, maybe skip over some of those objections. And the reason for that is if James is less concerned about it, then at least today we should be too, right? And so I, I really do want to focus on uh, what James, what's, what's really driving James' heart. Uh, and that's what we're going to get into. We're, we are going to address some things, uh, but not spend a ton of time on that. So let's just go ahead and, uh, and read the passage. I'm going to read the whole passage, and that's James 2, 14 through 26. And then we'll go ahead and pray. So James 2, 14. What use is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and is in need of daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled, yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? In the same way, faith also, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But some, someone may well say, if you have faith and I have works, Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. If you believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe, and they shudder. For, you are, for are you willing to acknowledge, you foolish person, that faith without works is useless? 
Was our father Abraham not justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was Rahab the prostitute not justified by works also when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear God, I just, uh, I just want to ask for, uh, for your favor as we go through this passage. And, um, and I just ask that you, you work in your church through your Holy Spirit to, to open our hearts and open our minds to, to what you have for us. And I just ask that you, you allow us to think clearly about what you're communicating to us and and just open up our hearts to be challenged and convicted um, by this, uh, this charge that James is giving to us. And I ask that you just also just comfort our hearts and uh, don't allow us to become uh, overly worried uh, about our relationship with you, but instead uh, that we, we worship you and praise you more clearly because of it. And, um, and again, I just, I just ask that you help us stay focused on you and, and not on ourselves, um, but, uh, but just allow us to grow in our understanding of you and of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So this passage is, uh, is set in a certain context, uh, specifically uh, in James, what was discussed before. And I think uh, this passage is often uh, discussed, especially within Christian circles, about, well, which is it? Is it, is it we're justified by works? Are we justified by faith? And we, we get lost in this conversation. Uh, and we just totally miss the context and everything that James has been building up uh, to this point. Um, a lot of times it feels like James is a bit ADD, right? He'll make a point and then he'll just move on to something else and then he'll make a point and move on to something else. And, and, uh, and a lot of times those points are connected, but it's kind of, it's a bit veiled on how they're connected. So I want to talk about uh, some of the context because James has, well, he's made quite a few uh, conclusions uh, or, or claims up until this point. But there's two major claims that I want to, uh, I want to address and just kind of highlight to you guys. Because these two claims are, uh, they're really going to set the stage or give us the context uh, for what we're going to go through today. And the first one is, uh, is James 1.27. And that says, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. And then the next claim is going to be uh, James 2.1, so just the next, the next verse. It says, My brothers and sisters, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. And at the end of, uh, of the message last week, uh, we also talked about mercy uh, quite a bit, and we'll, we'll kind of circle back to that as well. So this is the context that this passage is setting in. And if you remember from last week and then the week before, uh, really what was, uh, how James is setting the, uh, the stage, he's not making two disparate points, right? Where he's not just jumping from one thing to the other, um, 
but instead he's actually, he's actually marrying this idea that as, as we actually uh, practice our faith, our true, pure, undefiled religion, it's going to look a very specific way. And, uh, and, and that's where uh, Raz last week, he talked about how you hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And if you do that, if that is the case, then you cannot have this attitude of personal favoritism. And Raz did a great job of explaining this and, and kind of getting to, the, to the, really the root of it, where if it is the case that we have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, then we should, be, we should well understand that in that person, in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have everything. We have everything. And how does that, how does that preclude or eliminate the ability to have personal favoritism? And Raz explained how when we have personal favoritism, when we look at someone specifically in that context, where a rich man comes into the congregation and we treat him better than say the poor man, what we're communicating is we look at that person and we think that that person has something of value that we want. We're looking for something out of that person. And so we show them personal or we show them some kind of favoritism. And what that communicates is we are in fact agreeing with the fact or confessing that we don't have everything in Christ. And therefore we need something extra out of these people. And this, because of this, if we, if we truly believe that we have everything in Jesus Christ, then personal favoritism cannot exist in our midst. We look at other people and we know that those people don't have anything of value that we need because we have everything in Christ. And the, also the, the outcropping of that is, if, if this is true, if we have everything in Jesus Christ, then what, what else do we need? We don't need anything else. So what do you do when you have everything? The only thing left to do is to give it away. And that, that's what James is getting at in, in uh, chapter one, is it ends with this idea that true, pure, undefiled religion, what does it look like? It looks like visit, visiting orphans, visiting widows, ministering to the poor and the marginalized and the weak in society and not being stained by the world. Again, we don't have to be worried about being stained with the world because we recognize the world has nothing to offer me. The world has nothing that I need. And in fact, I have everything. So all I really have is the ability to give. There's nothing left to take. I already have everything in Christ. And so these, these two contexts are, are radically important and it shapes our understanding of this passage because what James is getting at is, is he's saying the, your faith results in a certain kind of work and this work looks like mercy. It's just having these works of mercy, giving to other people what they need. Working out your faith by giving to other people and having mercy on them. But again, you, you can't give mercy if you don't have mercy yourself. And that, that creates a problem. And so uh, that's, uh, that's what James kind of builds uh, in this passage. And he makes a, a, some pretty bold claims in this passage about faith specifically. So he comes to three major conclusions about faith. And again, they're, they're very bold and they, uh, they do create some, some of, well, discomfort. 
And so faith without works, and I kind of put these up there, faith without works is useless. It cannot save or justify. And that's the one that spooks everyone. And faith without works is dead. So again, it's faith without works is useless. It cannot save or justify, and it is dead. And where this, uh, this really kind of comes into full bloom is, uh, are these two contrasted passages, and that's uh, James 2.24 and Galatians 2.16. So just looking at them uh, in isolation, uh, James 2.24 reads something like, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And then Paul in Galatians 2.16 says, nevertheless, knowing that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we, we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Since by works of the law, no flesh is justified. So which is it, right? We're justified by works, right? According to James. And then we go over to Paul and Paul's like, nah, it's not works, it's faith. And, and that, that really kind of, uh, it, it just, it kind of grinds at us a little bit, right? And I've actually heard, and this is, this is a big conversation within the, uh, the Christian community, but it's also uh, a big conversation uh, outside the church as well. I've heard this argument made is that your Bible contradicts each other and, this, and they point to these passages. Your apostles can't even agree on how you're saved. So how do you know that you're actually saved? And so uh, we, we will be addressing this, but again, um, James doesn't seem overly concerned with addressing this. So we're gonna talk about it, we're gonna address it, but we're not gonna overly communicate this, uh, this point. We will, we will talk about it, um, but because this does occupy uh, most of our mind, uh, we are gonna start with this, uh, this, this idea. But if James is making these three claims, about what, what faith without works is, then we need to ask ourselves, okay, so then what's the opposite, right? What's the take home? What's the application? Because again, that's what James really wants us to know is what's the application? How do you live out this faith? So if faith without works is dead, then we need to ask ourselves, what is faith with works then? And so th- this is our, these are our three points. And this is where we're really gonna kind of hone in on for the rest of the, rest of the sermon. Is this idea that faith with works will save and justify. Faith with works is useful and faith with works is life. And I really want us to, uh, to zero in. I'm just, I'm just gonna throw this out there and just spoil the whole thing, okay? It's, it's not, it's not that, that faith and works are contrasted with each other. What James is contrasting is worksless faith and works faith or a working faith. Those two things are contrasted. So it's both faith-based. It's one is works-less and the other is working, a working faith. And these two things are contrasted. And again, there's a little bit of Jewish context and I don't wanna spend a lot of time on this, but a little bit of Jewish context is, yes, the the Jews believed uh, because James is speaking to the Jewish people uh, that are dispersed. And so there was this thought within the Jewish community that yes, you follow the law so that you can be justified, so that you can uh, be found righteous. 
But the Jews also recognized that you can't follow the law and that's why the whole sacrificial system was there, right? And so there was this understanding that it was, it was through faith that Abraham was justified or it was counted to him as righteousness, right? And so in order to be found in the covenant and participate in that righteousness, then they have to do what they can to follow the law. And so um, some Jews uh, did come to the conclusion, not all Jews, but some Jews did come to the conclusion that if I just have faith and I just do what I can to follow the law, then I'll be justified, right? And so works were kind of uh, relegated and faith was promoted uh, and other Jews did the opposite. Some, some Jews w- viewed works as uh, promoted. Uh, we, we justify ourselves through our works and faith was uh, kind of put on the back burner. And it seems as though James is, is addressing uh, the first of that group. As there was a group of Christian Jews that really felt uh, in light of Christ, that it was through faith and faith alone, that's the only thing that I needed to do. And that was it. And James seems to be addressing this issue. So we'll go ahead and, uh, and just kind of zero in on, on the big issue. So we'll start in verse 21. And I'll read that again. It says, was our father Abraham not justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So this is that, uh, that verse 24, uh, kind of in a broader context. Um, and often uh, just kind of, uh, I guess, a good life lesson. If someone uh, shows you a passage and they say, well, what do you do with this? Uh, generally the answer is, well, let's read the passages around it, right? And that generally solves the problem. And that's, that's exactly the case in verse 24. So uh, yes, verse 24, he does say a person is justified by works and not by faith alone, but we need to back up and actually read this in context. What's the context? What's the point he's making? And the point here uh, is he's, he's using Abraham, which we should expect. We should totally expect a Jew talking to Jews about faith. Why wouldn't you bring up Abraham, right? So this makes perfect sense. Um, however, what's interesting is James almost tells Abraham's story backwards. And that's really interesting. Why would he do this? And any good Jew would be able to pick up on this. He says, you see that, uh, that uh, faith was working with his works. As a result, uh, the works were perfected, right? Uh, and what he's talking about is when he took Isaac up and put him on the altar, right? But what happened first is if you don't know, Genesis 15, Genesis 15 is when Abraham believed in God and that's when God caused Abraham to fall into a deep sleep. He enters into a covenant, right? And he makes a covenant with Abraham uh, that wasn't predicated on Abraham, knowing full well that if it was, Abraham was just gonna screw it up, right? So God enters into this covenant with Abraham and, um, and God says, because you believed in me, because you believed in God, it was credited, that faith was credited to him as righteousness. So Abraham hadn't done anything yet and faith was credited to him as righteousness. And then fast forward to Genesis 22, a whole bunch of stuff happens. And then in Genesis 22, that's when Abraham takes Isaac up to offer him as a sacrifice. 
And again, what's, what's interesting about this is that as Abraham walks up, Isaac asks him this really ominous question of, dad, we don't have a lamb. And Abraham's like, yeah, we'll talk about that later, right? <laughs> so, there, but it's, it's, it's in this, this moment that Abraham knows what's coming down the pike, right? And yet he has faith anyways. And again, what, what's the work that he did that perfected his faith is that he offered to God everything that he had. Why? Because he knew that he already had everything in God. Again, the, the context of what James is talking about is, is that it, this is what pure undefiled religion looks like. Giving up what we have to people who need it, right? And, and the context is we're not looking for favoritism. Why? Because we don't need anything from anybody or anything in this world. And so Abraham, who all he has is Isaac, what is he willing to do? He, He's willing to give it up. Why? Because he knows he has faith, a working faith that says, I already have everything. And, and so James makes this, uh, this really interesting point. He says, uh, it was in this work that faith was perfected. And this word perfected uh, in Greek is teleos, which just simply means finished, Right? This is also what the, the word that Christ used when he hung on the cross and he says, it is teleos, it's finished, it's perfected, it's over. And it's this idea that it, it's something has become fully formed. It's, it's, it's in its perfection, it's done. It's, uh, it is now what it was intended to be. Uh, almost like a, a small child, right? When we just had a baby, right? So Gabriel, he's a little baby. He doesn't do anything, right? He just kind of like eats and poops and sleeps and... And that's it, right? But he's still very much Gabriel. It, it's, it's all him, but he's far from fully formed, right? And, and we can kind of see this, this kind of playing out was, is Abraham had faith. And when he had faith, at the moment of faith, Genesis 15, that was counted to him as righteousness. But when did we actually see it in its full glory, its full formation? That was Genesis 22, that's, that's when we actually saw the working faith really, really fully formed and in all of its glory. And that's, that's what James is, is getting at. Is, uh, so now you move down to, to verse 24, and this, this makes so much more sense, is you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. He's not saying that it's just by works alone. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that a man is justified by works alone. He says by works it's perfected, it's fully formed, it's, it's in all of its glory. This, this is what working faith looks like. And so James is really kind of digging at his audience where he says, if, if you guys have faith, good, right? Good job. Does it ever fully form? Do you ever get to see it? And that, that's, that's where he gets into these other things about what, what working faith is or faith with works is. We'll talk about that in a moment. But this, what he's getting at with using Abraham is that Abraham was justified by his works, right? He was already righteous. Again, verse 50, or chapter 15, he was, it was already counted as righteousness. It was in 22, which he says, that's when he was justified in his works. He wasn't justified before God. That's when he saw it fully formed. He already had righteousness in, in chapter 15. 
And so we have to ask ourselves, are James and Paul in contrast with each other? Absolutely not. That makes perfect sense. And, and Paul talks about this constantly. Uh, and yeah, in uh, Ephesians 2, uh, he talks about this where it is we are justified by faith and faith alone, right? And it is not by works. And a lot of people use that passage to contrast James as well. But again, you just read the next chapter in, or the next verse uh, in Ephesians and Paul says, uh, and this is why we have been built for good works. It's almost as like, I don't know, Paul thought that faith creates works, right? And this, this is, this, it's, it's a natural outcropping of what a working faith actually does. And again, in, in James' mind, there's this contrast between a worksless faith and a working faith. And he's really challenging his readers to think, and if, if you have a worksless faith, you really need to wrestle with the fact that it probably doesn't save you. And we look throughout the Bible and we find Abraham, it, Abraham had a working faith. And then he also moves on to Rahab, which is a bit of an unexpected uh, example. And he says, Rahab, a Gentile prostitute, also was justified. She had this working faith and it worked by taking in the strangers and then sending them out by another way. And again, you see, even, even then you see in Rahab, why would she do that? Because she believed that she had everything in God. If she believed that she had everything in God, then she could bring these people into her place of business, right? Sacrifice her income and then also sacrifice her life by sending them out another way. Because if she had been caught, she would have lost her life. So she was willing to give everything to show mercy to people that needed it. It was her faith that was working. And that's how she knew, and we all know, that it was a working faith. It was a saving faith. And so James makes this other conclusion, uh, is that uh, faith with works is useful. It's useful. Just like we talked about with Abraham, uh, he was able to use it. Uh, same with Rahab, it was, she was able to use it and help other people uh, that needed mercy, that needed what she had. So in the same way, uh, we'll go ahead and read uh, verse 14. And James says, what use is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says that he has faith, but he has no works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? In the same way, faith also, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. This, uh, this is a pretty, <laughs> it's a pretty aggressive claim, right? Um, and, uh, and he uses this language of brothers and sisters. If you see a brother or sister uh, that's essentially naked and can't eat for the day, and you say, I'll pray for you, bro, and then you walk away, like what, what good does that faith do them? True faith, working faith, we should expect it to benefit the people around us. And that's, that's kind of the language that, that James uses is he says, um, if you say to them, go in peace, this is a, a traditional greeting of like, may God give you peace or shalom, or uh, basically uh, giving them some kind of blessing, uh, asking God to bless them. 
And then also if that same context is applied, it's may God warm you, may God fill your belly. Uh, and then you just go on your way. That, that's useless faith. It didn't accomplish anything. It didn't draw that person closer to Christ. It didn't draw you closer to Christ. It didn't do anything. And this is, this is what James gets at is, is that a workless faith is just useless. It doesn't accomplish anything. He even goes on in verse 18 and says, uh, but someone may well say, you have faith and I have works, right? It's just however you worship God. And James goes on and says, show me your faith without works. Obviously you can't. And he says, but I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one and you do well. Demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to acknowledge, you foolish person, that faith without works is useless? And again, this is, this is a stinging remark in that uh, what, what James is saying is uh, you, you believe in the Shema, you believe that God is one, right? Great, good for you. And every good Jew, they would, they would say this multiple times throughout every single day. God is one, right? You believe that and that's good. Demons do that too and they shake. Do you shake when you say the Shema, right? You can, you can almost hear this, this, this kind of quiet uh, kind of stab. Where it's like the demons believe in God better than you do. And James is even making this point where it's, doesn't their faith actually produce some kind of work, namely shuddering? So, so you expect your faith to do nothing, to not actually produce any kind of works, but the demons, they shudder, but even that work doesn't do anything for them. And again, he's, he's creating this argument where it's it, any kind of useful faith, it's going to produce in something that looks like mercy. The demons, they, they shudder when they think about God, but that doesn't benefit anybody. That's useless. He's making this point where they have faith, but it doesn't do anything. It's useless. What makes you think that your worksless faith is useful or accomplishes anything? And again, he's driving home this, this idea where it's your, your working faith should look like something like mercy. If we truly believe that we have everything in Christ and we should be more than willing to give to everybody else. If we find ourselves in a place where we can't be useful, we can't give to people that are in need. If we can't do those things, then what does that mean? Well, that, would only, that could only mean that we don't have mercy ourselves. And again, this, this is, this is a, a, a very scary thought to consider. If we find ourselves in this world where we can't give other people mercy, and sometimes that looks like just taking care of their bodily needs, but other times it looks like just forgiving other people. Sometimes it look, it, mercies look differently, but everybody needs our mercies. And if we have no mercy to give, that could only mean that you have no mercy yourself. But if you have mercies abundantly, if you have more mercies than you know what to do with, the only thing you can do with it is give it away. And so if we find ourselves in a situation where we're, we just, we have no mercy to give, we're just merciless, and that's where the passage just previous to this, that's what it indicated, is that if we find ourselves merciless, that could only mean one thing, and that is God is merciless toward us. We have no mercy. 
And again, that's a dangerous place to be. James is, he's really challenging us to consider if we find ourselves in this situation, if we find ourselves with a useless faith, what does that mean? It means that we don't have a saving faith. We don't have a merciful faith. We don't have any mercy to give. Which brings us to our last point is that faith with works is life. Faith with works is life. And this brings us to our last verse. Verse 26, James says, for just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. James is really driving home or he wants us to consider this idea that if you have a dead faith, then what does that make you? If faith is the thing that, if we expect faith to be the thing that vivifies us, it brings us to life, it brings us joy, it brings us life and life abundantly. And yet we find ourselves with dead faith. What should we expect out of our lives? What should we expect out of this salvation that we claim to have? And again, this is a, this is a terrible, uh, terrible thought to consider is that as we go throughout life and we find ourselves kind of merciless with other people that need our help, if we find ourselves just telling people, I'm going to pray for you or I'm going to do nothing for you, we really need to consider the fact that our faith is dead and we have nothing to give. We have no life to give. In Colossians 2, we're bringing back Paul and he explains what it is that we have in Christ. Colossians 2, 12 through 25, I'm sorry, 15, 12 through 15. Paul says, we have been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your wrongdoings and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him having forgiven us all our wrongdoings, having canceled the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out, out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him, our Christ. This, this is what uh, Christ has given to us. This is our faith. Our faith in Christ, it, it makes us alive with him. And what Paul is talking about is, is Christ was, he was crucified on the cross. Why was he crucified on the cross? He was crucified on the cross to pay for our wrongdoings. He was crucified on the cross to take our sins. He was crucified on the cross to give you mercy. And if you have mercy then you are alive. We have life in Christ. And how do we participate in that life? That is through faith. It is through faith in Jesus Christ. Just as though Abraham, when he had faith in God, it was credited to him as righteousness, but it didn't stop there. It it stopped in, in chapter 22 when it worked itself out. And again, in between in chapter 18 
uh, Abraham, some strangers show up to his tent and they say, hey, can we get some water? And he says, yeah, hold on, just take a seat. And then he runs, says he ran to Sarah and he said, make some bread real quick. And then he ran out to the field and told the servant, get the fatted calf and prepare it, right? And then he runs back to the strangers and he's like, hold on, it's taking a little bit longer. Just chill for me a little bit. And then he gives them overabundant what he has. He gives them more than what they asked for. He gives them out of abundance of what he has. Why? Because he didn't view the things that he had as his. He viewed God as everything that he needed. And in the same way, when we view our Jesus Christ, when we view him as raised from the dead and therefore us raised with him, when we view our Jesus Christ as crucified on the cross and our sins were on him, our sins were crucified on that cross, we have everything in Christ. We have been given more mercy than we know what to do with. And when we live a life that's merciless, when we live a life that we cannot give mercy to other people, that can only mean one thing, that we don't have mercy, but we do, we have Christ. We have been given life. We have been given forgiveness. And what's more, we've been given his spirit. We're not just waiting for some future redemption. We're not just waiting for a new heaven, new earth. We are, we are waiting for those things, but we get to participate in life now. Why is that? It's because working faith is life. It is not dead. A worksless faith is dead. We have a working faith. We have a faith that's alive. We have a faith that makes us alive with Christ. And so what James, he, he's deeply uh, applicable. He, he wants us to apply these things uh, in meaningful ways and it's, it's really interesting how he doesn't tell us, okay, so the works that you're looking for, do this and do this and do this. He doesn't give us the works to practice. Why is that? It's because when we, are, when we have this working faith, when we have a faith that saves us, works of mercy will come. It's not something that you white knuckle. You don't have to white knuckle your faith. You don't have to produce fruit. It's when you have working faith, when we have faith in Christ, when we are alive, we just live. And so the application is get in Christ, be in Christ, connect yourself to the vine. That's the application. If you find yourself merciless at any point, confess, beg Christ, give me mercy so that I can give others mercy. Give me life so that I can give life. That's the application. What James is getting at is the gospel. That's the application is we give ourselves to the person and work of Jesus Christ so that we can give the work and person of Jesus Christ to others. We share this gospel and it just comes out of us, it seeps out of us. So as we go throughout this week and as we just uh, seriously consider our lives and we ask ourselves the tough questions, do we find ourselves in situations where we're maybe less merciful than we should be? Again, don't panic. It doesn't mean that you're not saved. In fact, the fact that you even care about it is pretty indicative of the fact that God's doing something in you. But if we, if we find ourselves concerned with these things, take heart, God's working in you. But that doesn't mean that we're not done. We're not fully formed, right? Telios is coming and it's already here, right? Christ said, it's finished on the cross. It's done. Just like Abraham, 
He had faith and it was credited as righteousness. It was in that moment. But when did we see it fully formed? It was in chapter 22. We're in process. So take heart, you're still in process. But at the same time, you're in process, right? So, so th- seriously consider these things. When we find ourselves in situations, we are less merciful than, uh, than we should be. We should be asking ourselves, why, why Christ? Why do I not think that you can provide me what I need? Why am I looking for something else in this world to provide for me? Why am I uh, looking to other people with partiality? Why am I looking for them to fulfill something in my life? Show, reveal to me where I'm falling short. Reveal to me why I don't have the mercy that I want and that I need. And that's the application as we go throughout this week. Let's beg God, please reveal these areas of our lives to us. Make them clear to us. And also as we find those things in our lives, we just confess that God removed those things from our lives and make him more clear to us. Let's pray. Thanks for tuning in to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you live for more.